be long, brother. We'll be leaving. Amen. Looking forward to not being here anymore. I'll tell you what. Um, when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, what a glorious day it'll be. No sin in the presence of Christ forever. Amen. Mm-mm-mm. Praise God. Honestly, truly, I, I, I honestly, I, for each and every one of you, uh, it is my great, great desire that you not play church, but that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know that you're saved. Frank Sells used to say, drive a stake a mile deep that you know that you're saved. Drive a stake a mile deep. It is so important that you understand the difference between con- confession, if you will, or profession and having the Holy Spirit truly living within you. And the, uh, and, the, and the power of God to change our lives. Amen. Amen. All right, let me uh, begin uh, this morning. I'm asking you to open uh, to the book of James. James, you can open to James chapter 1, if you would. My, my, my wife uh, mentioned to me after the service last week that, um, I'm not sure exactly how she worded it, 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 was, it was good. She said, You're a, she said, it's hard for you to teach. It's hard for you to teach on Sunday morning because you go so fast. Um, and I understand what she means when she says that. I, I really don't want to go so fast. You hear me, you know, sl- I, at the beginning of each class on Tuesday night and every sermon, I, go, I speak deliberately slowly. And then somewhere I lose control and start going very fast again. Amen. Um, and the reason that that happens, you know, one of the things I've had, I've been, I've been accused multiple times of being um, upset because I raise my voice. And, uh, um, and, I, and if you ask my children, I do raise my voice when I'm upset. But I also raise my voice when I'm excited. And I'm excitable. And so I raise my voice a lot. Whenever I'm talking about things that are wonderful, I, 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 I can't imagine, honestly, I, don't, I just don't possess the personality to stand here in a very real sense, quietly, soberly, and present the things that we're looking at. Because to me, I've been saved for 32 years, and to me they're just as wonderful today as they were the day that I was saved. And I mean that, quite honestly. Honestly, and this is not the right thing to say because I'm a pastor, Christ is more precious to me today than he was the day that he saved me by, by a hundredfold, maybe honestly a thousandfold. And he was really precious the day that he saved me. But the more that we grow in grace and knowledge, the more that we realize how great he is. And then sings my soul, amen? Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. And these things that we're seeing, they're just tremendous. They really, really are. I, uh, I, I really want you to lay hold of the fact that this is not meant to be, um, whatever the word would be, uh, an appropriate going through of, of a books of the Bible. But what we really want to do is enter into the truth as it is in the Word of God. Um, let's pray, and then we'll start. Father, Lord, this is your Word, and you are speaking to us through it. Lord, it is your desire that every person in this room would be set completely free from self and sin. Lord, that we would no longer be trapped by our own understanding. That the world would no longer have any pull on us at all. That sin would no longer have dominion over us. But Lord, that we would walk with thee in the newness of life 
and in the power of the Spirit of God. Lord, as we would look into these notes that are in front of me, as we would look into this book of James together, Lord, in a, in a summary way these next couple of weeks, we ask you, Father, that we would see and take with us from this book, from this time, that which you would have us to. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Last week, we began a, a review of the book of James. And again, you can go online and, and hear the audio. It's available. Uh, we'll talk a little bit, maybe, maybe sometime, maybe even this evening. Maybe we'll spend a couple of minutes together this evening discussing a couple of practical things concerning how to access um, the, the sermons, how to access these different things that are available so that you can help others. We get a lot of questions about how can I access this or is this on online, where is it online? And uh, maybe we'll talk about that for a couple of minutes together tonight uh, to help you to be able to, if you're not, you know, when you're not here, if you're not well, um, you know, I'd like you to be able to access these things. And for those that you would like to be able to point in the right direction so that they can, uh, again, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to come from our church. There, there are other places they can hear the truth, and I thank God that that's true. But we would like to be one of those that's to help the people as we're able to do so. Uh, so last week we began this look, and, uh, and I'm not going to be able to take the time, or, or what we'll do is I'll just do the same thing week after week. So what we're going to do is, beginning this week, what I want to do is I just want to re reiterate the outline. I am going to take a little more time, when I say, but one of the things my wife said is, you asked us to write these things down, and then you went too fast for us to write them down. So, so, but it seems awkward for me to say something and then stand here quietly you know, for an extended period of time, because it's, we're not in a class, it's Sunday morning. So let's give the outline. Um, we're not going to talk about its place in the Bible right now. We did that already. Uh, but, but I will give you the central message. If you want to write the central message, if you didn't write that down. Now let me look up here for just a moment before I I'll, I'll tell you when you can start writing. Meaning I'll give you time is the point I'm making. Um, I could just hand this to you. But what I found in my life is this. This piece of paper that I have right here is where this book is in the Bible, the central message, and the outline. And I could just make copies of this and give this to you. But what I found in my life when, when that happens is I say, oh, that's really wonderful. And, I'll, and I will take this and I'll put this into my Bible later so I'll have it. Or I'll just keep this forever, right? And then within a week I'll have no idea where this thing is anymore, right? Now, unless you're Kenny. You know, Kenny's Bible's pretty empty. I was going to pick on him. Some people have one of those covers to their Bible that zips shut. And they have 700 years worth of notes stuffed into that thing, which is great because they now have everything they ever learned. The problem is they can't find anything that they ever learned because it's somewhere in their filing system. So, so I want you to have these things. And, you can, and what I'd like you to do is to actually take these things and write them so that you'll be able to take them with you. It will help you greatly if you'll write these things in your Bible so that you can see them. So the, uh, the central message to the book of James is this, very simply said, the whole new quality of life from Hebrews, the whole new quality of life from Hebrews in our everyday life. In the book of Hebrews, we learn that our great high priest is pouring out a whole new quality of life. See, the Lord Jesus didn't just save us from our sins. He did save us from our sins. He, but he didn't just save us from the power of sin. He is making us new from the inside out. And this is the promise of the book of Hebrews. And if you want to see that in a single verse or two verses, you can go to Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. Write that down. And you just go look at it. And you can see God summing up that he wants to work in our hearts to make us the men and women that he would have us to be. Listen to me. Please hear me. You cannot impress 
God with your efforts. You cannot impress God with your efforts. Stop. Stop trying. You can't be a good husband. You can't be a good wife. You can't be a good mother. You can't be a good father. You can never be what you're meant to be unless God makes you into that kind of a person. But it is his will to make you that kind of a person. Now, here's the thing. When God makes you into the person that he would have you to be, he will get all the glory for that, but he should get all the glory for that because he's the one that does it, amen? And here's the thing. So many of us want to have just a little bit of that glory in our life. As Spurgeon said, if, if my robe of righteousness that Christ gives us had one thread in it that had anything to do with my goodness, I would circle that thread for all of eternity and say, that's mine. Yeah, the rest of the robe, Jesus did everything else. With that one thread, that's mine. There is not a, th uh, not a single thread in the robe of righteousness. If you have a robe of righteousness, there's not a single thread from your works in that robe of righteousness. It is all the blood of Christ. It is all the work of God. Now, this same thing is true in our life as a new creature. All of the power that saved you changes you. And if you have been saved, you are being changed. That's what the book of James is saying. In other words, that whole new quality of life from Hebrews in our everyday life. Now, a simple outline, and if you have room to write these in, it's chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. Chapter 1, daily temptation, daily temptation, and perfect patience. Daily temptation and perfect patience. Patience. That's chapter one. Daily temptation and perfect patience. Chapter two. Daily faith that works. Daily faith that works. In other words, if you have faith, it will produce works, good works in your life. You are not saved, we just talked about that, by your good works. But if you are saved, if you have real faith, then that faith will produce good works in your life. Chapter 3, daily wisdom from above. This is really in reference to the passage that John James read this morning. There is a great deal of fleshly, earthly wisdom. And listen to me. The average Christian is tricked into applying this wisdom into their Christian life. You can go down the road to the religious bookstore. You can pick the name of the religious bookstore. I won't pick it for you. And you can walk in, and, and, and when you walk in, I promise, right in front of you is going to be a bestseller's um, bookshelf. And if you took those books, the vast majority of those books are, are going to contain how-to stuff. How to do this, how to do that. Which, by the way, if you walked into Barnes & Noble, you would find the same kind of thing. How to this and how to that. The difference between Barnes & Noble and the religious bookstore is the religious bookstore is going to, quote-unquote, use the Bible to accomplish these things in your life. But that's not how God does these things. The wisdom from the Bible is, guess what? From the Bible. And you and I, you know, one of the, one of the greatest dangers in having a regular devotional or quiet time, having a time in your Bible every day, one of the greatest dangers is just to do it, to get through it. And, and many Christians, many Christians would not, would not even think about not having quiet time at some point in their day. But many of them are very content to open their Bible, go through it very quickly, close their Bible, and go on with their life and, and think 
mistakenly that they met with God. If you're going to meet with God, you're going to have to meet with God. Opening the pages of your Bible does not magically make you meet with God. But let me tell you this, you can't meet with God, really, without opening your Bible. You cannot meet with... Listen, even in your prayer life, your prayer life, if in your prayer life the Word of Christ is not dwelling in you richly while you're praying, I'm not sure that you're really meeting with God. Now, your words don't have to be the words of God, but the Holy Spirit's words to you have to be the words of God. Do you understand? The Holy Ghost is not going to use your ideas to speak from God to you. He's going to use the words of God to speak from God to you because that's what God says. Amen? One of the things that really concerns me in the age in which we live is when someone says to me, I have a word for you from God. And now, and you've heard me say this many times, if you say to me, I have a word for you from God, you better quote a passage after that. Because you don't have any words for me from God other than the word of God. Amen? This is really, really important. The word of God is quick and powerful, and the word of God is complete. The word of God is quick and powerful, and the word of God is complete. It has absolutely everything in it that you need. And that's something we need to lay hold of. Wisdom, daily wisdom from above. Chapter, th- chapter 4, daily grace, daily grace to overcome lust, lips, and the law. Daily grace to overcome lust, lips, and the law. You are not going to overcome these things in your own strength. The tongue, no man can tame the tongue. No man Contain the tongue. This is a marvelous thing. You know, since our, since our detailed study of the book of James, I have thought a great deal about this. You, now, you, I just want you to picture in your body. I want you to, where you are, picture, if you, can, if you know what I mean when I say this, you may not know the muscle groups, but picture your bicep, okay? Picture your bicep. Now, you may say, well, my bicep's not that big. Some of you may think, my bicep's awesome, you know what I'm saying? But, but uh, that's teenage boys, you know what I'm saying? Because so some of you, some of you would say, my bicep, your bicep is a certain size. Bicep is this muscle right here, okay? It's the one that pulls your arm forward, right? That's why people sit down and they go like this and they go like this. That's to get that great big bulging bicep, right? All right. Your tongue is tiny. It is a muscle in your body and it is a small muscle. It's a, it's a tiny muscle. And yet this, this muscle has hurt more people than your bicep could ever hurt. It's a terrible, tragic truth that the Bible teaches us. If you don't have the Holy Spirit control your tongue, you will forever hurt people you love. And here's the thing. You can apologize. You can use that same tongue to apologize. But there's a difference between apologizing and taking back the hurt. You can apologize. You can be sorry and say you're sorry. But it's hard to take back the hurt. So, so what God says in, in chapter 4 is there is daily grace in our lives to overcome lust, lips, and the law. And then chapter 5, daily living, or living daily, you can say, living daily in light of eternity. The book ends with causing us to lay hold of this truth. You are living eternal life right now. If, listen, hear me. If you're born again, you're already living eternal life. You're all, it's, it's wonderful. It really, really is. There, 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 there's going, oh, I wish I could lay this, I wish it would really help you to see this. There are going to be many tears, I'm afraid, at the Bema seat, at the judgment seat of Christ, where the children of God, those that are truly born again, are going to stand before God, and he's going to give reward, or not as much reward, depending upon what our life was really like. Now, let me say this. 
The rewards are based upon deeds and hard intent. Listen, boy, I tell you, that's depressing. I, 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 literally, I'm not exaggerating. When I was an undergraduate student and, I, and we were studying Corinthians and I saw this truth that there, was the, that there was the match of motives placed upon our works and that which was done for the wrong reason was going to burn up. I, I, literally, the professor stopped the class and said, Mr. Pearson, why are you crying? And I, and I didn't even realize I was crying. I wasn't weeping or anything. I just, I just had tears running out of my face, I guess. And I said, I just got to look at my, I just got to look at my rewards, and they're all on fire. Because when you do things for the wrong reason, there's no reward for this. But listen, if you do nothing because you're a, not a very good person, in other words, I'm too weak to do anything good. If you do nothing because you're too weak to do anything good, there's no reward for that either. So what is, the reward? What, is, what is the reward for? And this is the reward, to know that you're weak and let Jesus work through you. To know that you are weak. Listen, I, I, this is the simplest way I can say this. You teach Sunday. I'm going to take Gary Kimmy. Gary Kimmy won't be offended for me saying this. He and I have talked about this. Gary Kimmy walks into his Sunday school classroom to teach Sunday school. And Gary must be aware, in me, that is in Gary's flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. He has nothing that he can do to help these young people. Listen, he can fill the hour. He can entertain them with the Sunday school hour. He can even probably encourage them on some level. He can be a nice man to them, but he can't help them eternally in his own strength. Yet, they must be helped. Right? Glenn. Glenn goes to the ship. Ship after ship after ship after ship after ship. Powerless, 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 And yet, it doesn't matter whether they're Chinese, whether they're Filipino, whether they're Eastern European, it doesn't matter where they're from in the world, they must see Christ. Amen? Amen. So he must go, but he cannot go in his own strength. Gary must teach, but he cannot teach in his own strength. I must preach, but I cannot preach in my own strength. Do you understand? Living daily in light of eternity. It, there, it won't be long. I'm telling you, praise God, it won't be long. We'll be gone. It won't be long, we'll be gone. Either Christ will come and receive us all, which does appear that we are getting, you know, every generation feels this way. That's why, it's, that's, why, that's why the imminent return of Christ is such an accurate doctrine, because he could come at any moment, and everybody feels like he ought to come at any moment. And so we say, well, he could come before I even die, he could come. But even if he doesn't come before I die, I won't be here for but another. I'm 53 years old. I don't know that I'm going to make 100. You know what I'm saying? So I'm going to say I've had half my life already, and I'm thinking I had a lot more than half of it already, all right? Soon, soon we'll leave. And when you leave, please hear me. You, the, the, I'm telling you, the, I really believe the reason that Jesus has to wipe away tears, and this is a biblical truth, is because the immediate, your immediate response is going to be, I wish I let him have my life more. Yeah. And you can. You can. This doesn't have to be a, a sad, gloomy, doomy, oh yeah, i got to let Jesus have my life more. There's joy unspeakable and full of glory in the service of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let him have control of your life. Let him use the vessel. He'll do a better job with the vessel than you're doing now. All right, so that's that. That's the outline. That was slow enough so you could write that all down, okay? <clears throat> all right, um, 
word usage. Last week we talked about some words. I'm just going to reiterate these, but I'm going to talk about them. Man, brethren, and brother. Man, brethren, brother. They appear a lot in this book. In fact, they appear uh, 25, 14, and 5 times. It's a great deal in this number of verses, which tells us that there's a lot in James about our interaction with each other, which makes sense because it's dealing with our daily lives. But God and Lord and faith occur in a total more often than those words do. So God, Lord, and faith will produce the works, which is the other word that occurs a great deal of time, that will change our lives with man and our brothers and brethren. Okay? Now that's it. I don't have time to go into any more than that. Then we looked at the word. Then, then, I, then I said this. If you will write these words down, this is not the outline, but these are the, these are the prominent themes, the prominent themes that run through this book. The prominent themes. Okay? And I said that there were, I believe that there are six of them. Six prominent themes. The first one is promise. First one is promise. The second one is temptation. And temptation includes trial, tongue, and lust. So the first one is promise. The second one is temptation, which includes trial, tongue, and lust. The third one is patience. The fourth one is perfect or perfect. The fifth one is peace, and the sixth one is pray. Now, last week, we looked at the first one. This first one, I really would like to reiterate this first one, but I just don't have time to do so. But you really need to go back and look at, at this first one, this first one having to do with promise. And what you'll find is this. James 1.12 and James 2.5 both, both contain the word promise, uh, the Lord promising things and has promised uh, past tense, actually, things in our life that are happening and are coming to pass. And then you, and, but with those things, we looked at other passages that help you to understand how those promises are revealed to us and how they fit into, very clearly, into the book as a whole. Then what we're going to do this week is we're going to take a look at the second one, and that is temptation, trial, tongue, and lust. Temptation, how does that fit? How does temptation fit into our understanding of this book. Turn to James chapter 1 and verse 2. James chapter 1 and verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Now, I, I need to sum this up. Remember, we, we've been looking at this book for a long, long time. These temptations, look, look up here. These temptations in your life, these temptations in your life are the things that you used to be friends with before you were saved, but you're just not friends with them anymore. Now, it makes perfect sense that when you're saved, things that you were doing, you don't like them anymore. Now, listen, please hear me. This, please, please, please hear me. There's a huge difference between God saving you and you no longer liking those things and so finding yourself actually fighting with those things than simply being told to stop doing them because they're not good things. Do you understand the difference? Listen, listen. When I went to church as a teenager, there were certain things that we were told not to do. But here's the problem. I liked them. I liked them. So the problem is this. I had no desire, really, for them to end. I did have a desire for my mother not to bother me about them anymore. I did have a desire to fulfill people to think better of me than they would if I did these things that I wasn't supposed to do. But what, so what that ends up is this. That made me a 
liar. That made me a liar. This is what happened. My mother would say, Chuck, take Derek. Derek is my brother. He was nine years younger than I was. Who, who adored me, by the way. Loved me. I could have been such a tremendous, I was such a terrible brother to my brother. And I could have been such a great brother to my brother. But I was an ungodly young man. And so my mother would say, Chuck, take Derek with you. And I would say, Mom, I can't take Derek because I'm going to go do this and I'm going to go do that. It just won't work. I just can't take him. And none of that was true. Now, the truth is I couldn't take Derek with me. But the reason I couldn't take Derek with me is because I wasn't going to do any of the things that I told my mother I was going to go do. I was going to do completely different things. And Derek couldn't go because if he saw them, he would have to tell my mother about them. Do you understand? That's what happens. Listen, there are, I promise you, I promise you, there are people who came in here this morning who are doing the same thing for this hour and a half. You're behaving in a certain way because you're supposed to behave in a certain way. You even have some desire that maybe it would be better if you did behave in a certain way, but your love is still for your lusts. And as long as that is true, you are never going to have victory over these things until Christ makes you a new creature. Because here's what happened when I got saved. I, honestly, I know I, I don't want to go into a great deal. I really don't want to talk about my sin. The Navy spent a lot of money trying to conquer certain things in my life through, through um, counsel and psychiatrists because I was really good at what I did, and so they really wanted me to succeed. So they spent a lot of money trying to fix me, if you understand what I'm saying. Here's the problem. I didn't think I was broken. So I had no interest in them fixing me. I mean, I can't really, in order to say the things that, 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 that I said to them, I'd have to reveal some of the terrible things about my life. But let me say this. When Christ saved me, they were all gone. Literally, almost all of them had complete victory over immediately. And here's why. It says, please hear me. This is not me telling you what a great new Christian I was. This is telling you the difference between pretending to be born again and being born again. Because I, you didn't, they did not have to ask me or convince me to stop drinking anymore. When Christ, I can't, i got to be honest with you, I don't think I've had a glass of alcohol since I was saved. That's how complete my, my deliverance over these things was. I mean, again, I could go through a long list of things that I no longer do anymore, but then you'd have to know that I did them all. And again, it isn't that I'm ashamed that I did them. I'm ashamed to tell the teenagers about these things because you say, well, I guess I can live like that because look how he turned out. Thank God he saved me from those things. But I'll tell you what, I'd far rather have Chris's life, my son, or Andrew's life, my son, who never had these things in their life than the things that I had in my life. Things that you do, you can't undo them. Like I said, you can say you're sorry for things you've said, but you can't unsay them. You can be sorry for things you saw, but you can't unsee them. You can be, un you can be sad about things you did, but you can't undo them. You see what I'm saying? David carried around the weight of his sin, even though he was forgiven for his sin. So don't do it. Don't do it. And God has the power to have victory over your life. So what you're seeing is this. My, my brethren which means they're born again. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse, various temptations and trials. Why? Because as soon as you get saved, you're going to start fighting back against all the things that were in your life. And But we, let me say this. At some point, you're going to stop fighting in your own strength. And you can fight in your own strength all day, right? And not win a single battle. But when Christ wins... There's a, passage, there's a passage where God says, mortify, mortify, therefore, the deeds of the flesh. And it literally means kill with one blow. Kill with one blow. Now, here's the thing. I, here's what I realized when it says, mortify, therefore, the deeds of the flesh. Kill with one blow. Here's what I realized. I couldn't swing hard enough to kill these things. But Jesus can swing hard enough to kill these things. Amen? 
So, so let him swing instead of you. Don't walk after the flesh. Walk after the spirit instead. Let him accomplish these things. So that's James chapter 1, verse 2. Now, if you go to James chapter 1, verse 12, verse 12, 13, 14, and 15, we get to see a, a great deal about this temptation in our life. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried... He shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Listen. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Amen? So this, this passage makes it very, very clear. Listen, we're going to get to chapter 4. If you go to chapter 4, let's just jump ahead just a second here. Look at chapter 4 for just a moment. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? You lust and you have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your own lusts. Now turn back to chapter 2. Do you see how clear this is? Listen, hear me. Please look at me. You know what your problem is? You. It's really that simple. This really helps me a great deal. Here's the thing, honestly. Other than my influence on Kenny, my lust aren't ruining Kenny's life. Now here, unfortunately, because we're not an island unto ourselves, our lusts do ruin the lives of those around me. But listen, my lusts don't make him have to fall to my lust. Do you understand? What makes Kenny fall? Anybody want to guess? Kenny's lusts. Right? Is that not what the passage says? Yes? What makes, listen, what makes you a whiny, fussy brat? You. You. Now, here's what we want to blame, our circumstances, right? I'll tell you, honestly, you know, my wife will know this. My wife got blamed for a lot of my, what have we, we were, childishness as a Christian. She got blamed for a lot of it. Kathy, stop being so hard to get along with. You make my Christianity hard, right? Right? Honestly, honestly. But she, she didn't make my Christianity hard. I made my Christianity hard. It's my heart that's the problem. You understand? Every one of us is drawn away by our own. And lust, what does it say after that? Lust. Here's the problem with lust, because lust is, it means just selfish desire. It's all it means. By the way, when we think of the word lust in America, we almost always associate it with like sexual sin. But it doesn't have to be that. All it has to be is a strong desire. Again, you can lust after shoes. You can lust after tools. You can lust after a house on the lake. You can lust after, you know, the, the, the new whatever it is. You, you can lust after those things. Then when lust hath conceived, now, here's how lust conceives. When you want something and you pursue it. When you begin to pursue that which you want, it's going to conceive. And when lust hath conceived, it brings forth what? Sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. So this is what happens. Your selfish desire causes you to behave yourself in a way you're not supposed to. That behavior brings forth, unfortunately, 
death. That's what it brings forth, is death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. So what is the victory over this in our lives? And the answer is, it has to come from above. It has to come from above. Here's the problem with it coming from, because let me say this. You, you can't even join a club, which is what some people think churches are. You can't even join a club and have victory over sin because we're all weak in different ways. So we're going to have to have somebody who's stronger than all of us to give us victory. Amen? And praise God, Jesus is stronger than all of us. I mean, Jesus is stronger than every one of us individually. And Jesus, you know, you're gonna, if you want to see this, go to 2 Corinthians. Read 2 Corinthians, and you'll find in 2 Corinthians that, that the Apostle Paul says this. We learned that our sufficiency was not of ourselves. Now, that's not Paul saying he learned that his sufficiency was not of his self, although he had learned that. He's saying the apostles learned together that their sufficiency was the apostles. The apostles were insufficient for the labor and ministry God had called them to. So then so is Tidewater. See, we are insufficient for these things. But our sufficiency is not of ourselves. Our sufficiency is of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And he is more than sufficient for these things. And that's what God wants us to see. This is what God is showing us in James 1, chapters 12, verses 12, 13, 14, and 15. Now, going to, toward the end of this chapter, really close to the end of this chapter, remember we said that the words that we're going to see in this have to do with uh, temptation, trial, tongue, and lust. Now we've got to turn to verse, uh, one, chapter 1, verse 26. Now listen to this. <clears throat> if any man among you seem to be religious, I like that, isn't that funny? Seem to be religious. And bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So, the tongue tells on us, doesn't it? It just does. The tongue tells on us. Let me, let me say one of the greatest victories that I see, really, honestly, going on here at Tidewater right now is this book has really, um, I, I'll word it the way my son Andrew said it, this word teaches you backwards if you won't learn frontwards. Now, I'm, I'm expressing that not exactly. I can't remember exactly how he said it. But basically what he said is if you, when you realize that this is true in your life in a way you don't want it to be true, you have to then realize that this is not true in the way that it's meant to be true. Right? Yes? See, listen. Jesus promises in James to try, to try, right? That's the word. That's what it says in verse uh, Verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation for when he is tried. So here's what God says. God promises to try our lives to find out what they're really like. And then, if we'll be honest, he promises to change them. Amen? If you are not a new creature, he promises to prove that you're not a new creature. But he still promises to save you and make you a new creature. Amen? So, what, so this is true. I would have to say this. I have learned more from my Bible by realizing that I wasn't than realizing that I was. Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, if you'll just be honest, again, all you gotta do is go to Galatians. Go to Galatians chapter five, read what the works of the flesh is like and read what the fruit of the spirit is like and say, mm, wow, too much of that, not enough of this in my life. And, all, and, and when you realize that that is true, you have to say this, I'm not the man of God that God wants me to be. But let me say this, that's your fault. That is not his fault. 
That is not his fault. Again, somebody asked me uh, the other day where the, uh, where the God of Andrew Murray was. Where is the God of Andrew Murray? And I said, where's Andrew Murray? Amen? Do you understand what I'm saying when I say that? They said, where's the God of Andrew Murray? And I said, where's Andrew Murray? Where is the man or woman surrendered to the will of God like Andrew Murray was? Because if you'll surrender, you could be Andrew Murray or Amy Carmichael. You pick whichever, whichever person that you know from the history, for either from your Bible or biblical history, where you know this person was a, you know, Hudson Taylor, a great servant of God. No, no, no. Hudson Taylor, a servant of a great God. Amen? Hudson Taylor's confidence was not in Hudson Taylor. It was in God. That's why God used him so mightily. Amen? The average Christian wants to be that next great servant. There are no great servants. There's a great God. And there are servants of a great God. That's what there are. And that's what God wants us to understand. So, let's, well, let's, let's, let's be done with that. Let's go on to chapter 3. We're still looking at the tongue now. Chapter 3. I made reference to it earlier. Chapter 3 and verse 5. Now, in order to see this in its context, we, we don't have time to talk about it. Horses, yeah, I, has anybody ever ridden a horse? Raise your hand if you've ever ridden a horse. I, wow, really? That's a lot of you. Okay. Would you guys say, is, is a horse a large animal? Now, by the way, unless you've ridden a horse, you don't really realize how big a horse is, right? The, fir the first time you got up on top of a horse, what did you think? Wow, this is higher than I thought it would be, Right? <laughs> This is actually just a little bit scary. This thing under me is not a small animal. It's a lot more powerful than I am. How am I ever going to get this thing to do what I want it to do, right? Amen? And yet, this passage says, in verse 3, uh, chapter 3, verse 3, Behold, we put bits in horses' mouths, that they may, what? Obey us. And we turn about their whole body. So a child, a little child, can sit on top of a horse and turn it if they understand what they're doing. They can master this horse simply by the bit that's in its mouth. Isn't that amazing? Honestly, that's an amazing thing. By the way, don't try that with a zebra, okay? Zebras may look a lot like a horse. They're even smaller than a horse, but zebras kick and bite, okay? They have no interest in you riding them, none, none at all. So, so, but a horse, we can master a horse with this little tiny thing. It goes on to talk about ships. Um, how many of you have ever seen the underside of a Navy warship? Anybody ever see a, a Navy warship in dry dock? Okay, that's a magnificent. Anybody ever seen an aircraft carrier in dry dock? Raise your hand if you've ever seen Okay, all right. This is really going to, those that have seen it, that's an amazing sight, isn't it? What's really amazing is this. When you get back and look at the screws and the rudder, you think, we turn this thing with that? This ship turns with those little rudders? That's an unbelievable truth. And yet that entire aircraft carrier can be turned with just a little tiny thing in the back of it steering like this. But this is what the passage goes on to say. Verse 5. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Ask, ask the fire department. Ask Gary Paul what he thinks about a little fire, Okay. What a little fire kindleth, and the tongue is a fire. A world, that's amazing, of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defiles the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast and bird and serpent, and things in the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed, of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not 
so to be. And look up here now. And they cannot be that way in the church. They cannot be that way in the church. Listen, when I, mean, when I, say, when I say they cannot be that, what I mean is this. We should be ashamed when we misuse our tongue. We should be, there should be no greater shame in your life or my life with when we hurt somebody with our tongue. Uh, you know, one of the things we were praying earlier today about going out in just a little minute. I'm going to release you in just a minute here. We're going to go out, and many of you guys are going to go over to Applebee's, and you're going to uh, sit down, and, and a wait, waiter or waitress is going to, somebody's going to come and, and serve you with their food. And listen, and this was John James, I believe it was John James that prayed this. Lord, let none of us hurt any of them with our mouth. Listen, listen, look up here. I would rather that we earned zero dollars fundraising for the children going to Applebee's, zero, than that we hurt anybody at Applebee's when we go there. Do you understand how big a deal that is? When we were in Texas, when we were in Texas, uh, we took the teens to Texas, I don't even know how long ago now, long time ago. What's that, Kitty? 12 years ago. Okay, we flew into San Antonio, we rented some vans, we drove down into southern Texas and then down into Mexico. When we returned the vans at the, near the airport in San Antonio, one of the men that, were, that worked for the place where we returned the vans came out to see us and stopped me and said, you all are a church, right? And I said, yes, we are. And they said, of teenagers. And I said, yes, we just brought teenagers with us. And they said, you have no idea how rare it is for the vans to be returned in the condition that you just returned them. And I said, I don't understand. Because first of all, you got to take everything out. It's yours, right? And he, I mean, right? I mean, you can't leave stuff in the van. It has to go home with you. And I said, I don't understand. He said, listen to me. Churches are the worst offenders in renting our vehicles. He said, they do not care for them at all. And I, and I, and I just hung my head and said, sir, I'm so sorry. I said, I'm so sorry. Now, I was encouraged that that wasn't true about our church. But how terrible is that? How terrible is that? How, you know, listen, listen. How terrible is it that the average whining, complaining person at a restaurant would be a churchgoer? Right? Well, she was slow. He was slow. Maybe they're having a bad day. You ever had a bad day? Maybe, they have, maybe it's a single mom and she's got three kids at home. She's got to go to work and she's not feeling well anyway. Amen? And then the last table had somebody just like you at it. Right? <laughs> so now she's having a really bad day. God help us. The tongue no man can tame. I promise you Jesus would treat that man or woman well. I promise you that he would. I promise that he would care more about them than his own meal. How do we know that? Because he said to his disciples, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Right? Well, my food was cold, preacher. They deserve to be told. Yeah, they sure do. You deserve to go to hell. Amen? You're a great help to them, pointing out how terrible person they are. And by the way, they didn't cook your food anyway. Walk into the kitchen. Tell the cook. He's got a knife. <laughs> he might defend himself. Amen. Amen. God wants to give us victory over these things. Listen, please hear me. Coming to church this morning and be behaving well in front of each other and then going to a restaurant afterwards and being a jerk just tells us how, how this is just not true in our lives. Because if your Tuesday or your Sunday afternoon is different than your Sunday morning, you don't have that great high priest pouring out a whole new quality of life in your life. This is what Christ came to do for us. Listen, we'll be done here. This is, this will, we'll, we'll, we'll finish here. We'll come back. So we got into this, this second truth that we're seeing. And again, we'll pick it up next week, Lord willing, and the week after that. It'll take us a couple more weeks to sum up this book. But I hope you'll, I hope, really, truly expect, I expect that what we're taking from this is God is changing 
the everyday life of his children. If our lives are not being changed, something's wrong. Either we're not his children, we're just not really new creatures, or we're walking after the flesh and not after the spirit, and therefore nothing's being changed.